All right, so we're going to continue where we've been uh, rolling along in First Thessalonians, so let me pray, and then we'll get into this. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us this morning once again. Um, God, I ask that the words that you've given me today, uh, the word that we study in your word, uh, the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you, that your Holy Spirit would move in us uh, to grow us into the likeness of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. All right. So here's what everybody wants to talk about, right? Are, are we in the end times? Okay. It doesn't take very long. You can look on the internet. You can find all kinds of articles about the end times. Uh, I don't know if you can see that from where you're sitting. End of the world, Jerusalem, third temple, uh, fulfills biblical prophecy of end times. Claim. I like, like how they put that at the end. Well, maybe not. But we think maybe it is. There's all kinds of information about there. How about these? How many have seen a really bad end times movie? I'm not saying all these are bad, but I won't vouch for any of them. Okay? So, so even if you are not a Christian, even if you're not a, a believer, you probably have thought about or, or are aware of the whole idea of the end of times, the apocalypse, the mark of the beast, 666, all these different things. And we're fascinated with end time stuff. The question is why? Uh, and I think the reason that it's fascinating is one, it's kind of like an adventurous storyline, but more importantly, it really, really matters. If things are going to come out in the end a certain way, wouldn't you like to know that? And I hate to disappoint you, but I am not going to talk about today when the end times happen, uh, because that's not where Paul goes here. But we are going to talk about things about the end, because that is where Paul goes here in First Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, or if you have a phone with a Bible on it, I'd invite you to, to take that out now and find your way to First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 13. We're going to go to chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, as we read through this, uh, I just want you to know that um, there's a term that we find in here, uh, that is fallen asleep. He, he talks about people having fallen asleep. That is a colloquialism for people having died. Right? So you can understand kind of the, the, what he's saying there as we read through these things. Uh, so I invite you to follow along your Bible, or you can follow along on the screen here as we read these verses. <clears throat> but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. I want to reread this slide, this, these last few verses, because it's such a powerful statement. Okay? God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Okay? So as Paul is pointing us to the end, what's going to happen to people, the idea that Jesus is coming back... I want us to think about this from, from three kind of different perspectives. The first thing we're going to talk about is, is doubts about the future. The Thessalonians are having doubts. What doubts do we have? Uh, what about the end really is certain? Okay? And when we discuss what is certain, what kind of impact should that have on us as those who know the truth? Okay? So, so thinking about doubts about the future. Um, we need to make sure that we understand in the context of what we're reading here, Paul is writing this to people who have already put their faith in Christ. And so his, his discussion with the, the Thessalonians is for folks who have put their faith in Christ, but now they have doubts even as they have trusted in Christ. And the, the first big question that Paul kind of addresses is, what's going to happen to those who have already died? And if, if you put this in the context of where these believers are sitting in Thessalonica that day, they've been told that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, that Jesus went back to heaven, and Jesus promised eternal life. And they've had brothers and sisters that have put their faith in Christ, and yet they died. So they've died, and Christ hasn't come back yet. And so the Thessalonian believers are like, well, where does that leave them? I thought there, this was an eternal life thing. And so, so Paul is clarifying that question of, of what happens to those who have, have already died. And the second kind of question that he addresses is an implied question where he talks about the fact uh, that Jesus is coming back and it will be a surprise. So the implied question is, when is Jesus going to come back? And, and it's interesting, in, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, you have no need to have anything written to you. In other words, he's saying, you've already learned this, let me encourage you to trust in what you already know. Okay? And that's what he's getting at is, is the Thessalonian believers are having these doubts about what this faith of theirs looks like. And, and so we, we might ask the question of, is it normal to have doubts and, and what kind of doubts do we have? Okay? Um, so here's just an exercise that when we talk about doubt, sometimes we can feel like we're, we're lesser people, lesser believers if we have any kind of doubt pop, in a, pop up in our brain. And I would submit to you that the, our enemy uses that to try to push us away from the assurance that we have in God. So, so to kind of understand about doubts, let me just say this. Don't think about a wonderful, steaming, hot, wonderful smelling piece of apple pie. Okay. Did you think about a piece of apple pie? You bet. Because okay, there's nothing you can do that. When I say that, that just comes into your brain. But now let me say, hey, push that thought aside. Focus on the word. Lunch is in an hour or so. Okay? You can do that, right? You can say, all right, I'm going to push that apple pie thought aside. That's the same way that we have to kind of deal with doubts as Christians. I have doubts that come up in my brain, and I go, what about? 
And, and my, my responsibility is, as somebody who has faith in Christ is to take that doubt and, and go, no, because God has said something different. So those doubts come out, up naturally, uh, but, but we're called to take those doubts and, and put them underneath the truth that's in God's word and push them aside. Uh, and we have doubts about all kinds of stuff. Like, yeah, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but in America right now, there's kind of an epidemic of suicide. They, they think that the suicide rates in America are higher than probably they've ever been in our history, right? And, and the, the Christian church is not immune to that at all. And, and so you think about, well, well what happens there is, is people, even though they might have put their faith in Christ, have doubts about whether this will actually be worked out. And they see ending their own life as a better option. Okay? That, that's a doubt that may come up, like, man, wouldn't this be better not to have to deal with all this? Okay? And, and yet God has saved us for a purpose. That's what the Bible says, and that he's going to make things better. So doubts like that can come up, and it doesn't have to be an extreme thing like suicide. It can just be something like, you know, I don't know if I should trust God in this particular way that he's bringing me forward as I, as I look towards the future. I have a good friend who recently was given a job offer to move to another state, and he's got a family, and he's settled here in Cedar City, and and he was like, I don't know. And then as he was praying through it, um, tons of different things came together to to encourage him. Yes, go to this job where you're going to be away from your your family for months at a time in in a different state and that sort of stuff. And he was wrestling through the doubt of, can I be a good husband? Can I be a good father? Can I, can I do this? Is this the right thing to do? And yet he went anyways because he felt like he was convinced that God was saying, yes, go. Uh, but that's the kind of doubt that we have to deal with as believers where we go, hey, there, I have legitimate questions about what's going on here. And our response to that is to say, hey, am I going to trust God in this or not? And so when we look at the Thessalonian believers, when we look at ourselves and these doubts come up, it's interesting that when Paul addresses these doubts that the Thessalonians have, he points them to this thing. He points them to this truth, and that's that Jesus is coming back. The defense that we have against doubt is faith in what God has said. And Paul points to the fact that Jesus has said very, very clearly that he's coming back. Okay? And so, so he points them to the end. What's going to happen at the end? And, and we want to talk about what about the end is certain. Okay? So when I talk about the end, I'm talking about like when Jesus comes back. Most of you have probably heard or seen in movies and stuff like that, that there's going to be a time of tribulation, that there's going to be uh, kind of chaos. Uh, the world is going to have a lot of messy stuff happening in it. We're talking mostly about what's revealed in the book of Revelation. But here's the thing that we need to understand is that God has said absolutely clearly that what happens at the end is, is unquestionable. Jesus is coming back. How that happens, tons and tons and tons of questions about that. Okay? So most Americans would say, uh, I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, or maybe you wouldn't say that if you don't know what that is, but this is the idea that's conveyed in movies like Left Behind where um, people that believe in Jesus are taken up into the clouds or taken up into heaven, and everybody else is left here for a while to go through this period of chaos, the tribulation, right? That's called a pre-tribulational view of, of rapture. It's probably the predominant theory in, in modern Christianity. Um, but there's a, there's a catch to that. If you go to Amazon, you'll find books like this. 
and say, hey, 101 scriptural proofs for a pre-tribulation rapture. But you'll also see books like this, a case for mid-tribulation rapture, which means that the people get taken up to be with Jesus halfway through the time of chaos. Okay? And you'll find books like this, the post-tribulation rapture of the church. Subtitle, what is it? Knowing the, uh, knowing the pre-tribulation uh, rapture deception. Okay? All right? So, so here's what I'd say to you is... I don't want us to get wrapped around all these little details that people that study Greek and Hebrew and original manuscripts, they argue about how this is actually going to happen. And I want us to stay focused on it's going to happen, however it happens. Jesus is coming back for his people. You can be absolutely certain of that, and you can stay away from those other things that can get us off into disagreements and and debates that are unhealthy. I'm not saying you shouldn't have friendly debates. I'm not saying you shouldn't dig into the Scripture and figure out what you believe, but but avoid the pride trap that says, hey, I got this all figured out, and the rest of you don't. I've actually got a friend who has a hard time going to church because he's had people tell him, hey, if you don't believe in the same way that I do in, in, in when the rapture happens, you probably don't know Jesus at all. That's the kind of stuff that tears up the church. And that's not where, where Paul points at all. He points to the fact that this is absolutely clear that Jesus is coming back. Okay? So what are the specific things he talks about that are absolutely clear, absolutely sure about the end? If you look at chapter 4, verse 16... Okay, It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Totally clear. Jesus will come back, and it will be an amazing thing. Okay? He will descend from heaven. There will be all kinds of noise, and there will be no doubt that it's him. Okay? That's a pretty amazing thing. Okay? Paul also tells us that believers, dead or alive, will join Jesus at that point forever. This is what it says uh, in verses 15 to 17, kind of skipping past 16 since we just read it. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord." unequivocal statement that if you have your faith in Christ, when he comes back, you will meet him. You will be caught up to meet him, and you will have uh, a wonderful, glorious, eternal life with him. doesn't matter if you die today, and the Lord doesn't come back for a thousand years. doesn't matter if the Lord comes back before I finish this sentence. Okay? If you have your trust in Jesus, you are going to be with him. Um, and that is going to be an awesome thing. Paul reinforces this in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, that's the part we read twice, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. This is so central to what we preach, what we share as the message about Jesus Christ, is that Christ came and sacrificed himself for us so that we might have this hope that we will be with him forever. Okay? The end for those who have their faith in Christ is absolutely certain. Okay? Here's another thing that Paul kind of focuses on. Jesus' return will be a surprise. 
Okay? And it's important for us to kind of dig into that a little bit. Uh, the specific terms that Paul uses is in, in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, it will come like, or he will come like a thief in the night. Okay? Um, and he says this will be accompanied by sudden destruction in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 5. And so when we think about surprise, we have to kind of contrast that with the idea of being unexpected. And it's cool that Paul uses this, this uh, picture of pregnancy where you know when somebody is pregnant that they're going to have a baby, right? But you don't know when. You know, it's going to be about nine months after we think it got conceived, okay? Probably, if everything goes according to plan. But it might come early. It might come late. You don't know for sure. Think about a, a scary movie that you've seen, all right? The dude or the girl, you know, the protagonist is walking down the alley, and it's dark, right? And there's like a monster or a slasher guy or something like that around. And you're like, what are you doing? Didn't you just hear the music get all somber, you know? Why would you possibly do that? Get a flashlight at least and a gun, right? And they walk down and you're like, and then what jumps out? A black cat. It's always a black cat jumps out, "Ah!" right? And then the real horror comes out after that. But here's the thing is you are fully expecting something to happen. And yet when it happens, it's still a surprise. That's the same picture we get of Jesus' return. We are fully expecting Jesus to come back. But when he does, we're going to go like, whoa, I guess it was today. All right? That's the idea of surprise. The reason that I'm harping on this, this, this idea of surprise is because I, I think that we have effectively been deceived sometimes to think that surprise means uh, it's t- completely unexpected. In other words, like, I'm believing in Jesus, but if you flash a, a bright, shiny object up in the corner and I look at that for too long and Jesus comes back over here, I go to hell. Okay? That's not the message that we have. We have people saying, hey, wait a minute, that credit card's the mark of the beast. That vaccine is the mark of the beast. That that microchip is going to ensure that you uh, are going to go to hell. And all of those ways of thinking are directly contradictory to the idea that it is by faith we are saved. Okay? Or by grace we are saved through faith. It is Jesus who has done the work to save us. We just keep our eyes on him. And his Holy Spirit will keep us from getting deceived out of things as long as our eyes are on him. Okay? So we don't have to worry about crazy things and, oh man, I shouldn't have gotten that t- tattoo, now I'm condemned. No, we're going to know. Whenever, if we're alive when it's time for the mark of the beast to be laid on people, for for the world to be divided between us and them. If you are a believer, you are going to know absolutely clearly that if you do this thing, and I don't know what it's going to be, maybe it's a microchip, maybe it's a vaccine, maybe it's a tattoo, I don't know. But when you do that thing, you will know, I am saying no to Jesus. I am worshiping something else because it's better for me. So we don't need to worry about this idea of surprise like, man, if I'm not on my game, I'm going to be out of heaven. No. Paul is pointing us to the fact that it's going to come like a thief in the night, so always stay focused on the fact that Jesus is the answer. Okay? Don't live like he's not. Okay? Um, and, and so as we take this idea of, of these things that are certain, that Jesus is coming back, that all believers are going to benefit on that day that he comes back, that it's going to be a surprise but not unexpected, then we, we might say, so, so if this is all true, how should that play out in my life? 
Um, here's the first thing, is he emphasizes and reemphasizes this idea that we should encourage others and be encouraged ourselves. In fact, that's how he summarizes both of these sections of Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And in uh, 5.11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Okay? The fact that Jesus is coming back should be an incredible encouragement to anybody who has put their faith in him. So, if I look at my culture and I say, my culture is going down the tubes, that's okay. I mean, it's not good, but it's okay because Jesus is coming back. If my doctor says, hey, terminal cancer, four weeks to live, I go, oh man, that's going to be an unpleasant four weeks. Okay? But I can say, hey, you know what? All those who also believe, I'm going to see even after I die. Okay? And I know that God is going to take me through this scary... Uh, unexpected death thing and bring me out on the other side with Jesus. That's awesome. So I can be encouraged in that. If I say, hey, the economy just tanked. I just lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. I can say, hey, you know what? Just keep your nose to the grindstone. Just keep your eyes on Jesus because he's coming back for you and he will not let you get dropped on your face. Okay? That is the, the encouragement we have from Paul. That's the encouragement we should be sharing with each other. He also tells us to be awake and sober. So this is not a call for us to be teetotaling insomniacs, okay? He's not saying like, hey, you can't sleep, okay? He's saying, you know what? You got to live like you're in the day. Like you have to live like you're in the light of Christ. That's the imagery that he uses throughout this section where he encourages us to live as if all of this is true, okay? He says, for your children of light, children of the day, you're not of the night or of the darkness, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. sober. Okay? He is saying, hey, Jesus is coming back, and that makes a difference. You've been saved for a purpose. Live with purpose. Live like he's actually coming back. Okay? Being awake and sober means that I'm living in the light, that I know Jesus as my Lord, and my mind knows it, and my life reflects it. That's just what faith is. It's knowing something and living as if it's true. Okay. And here's the last big thought. Okay. If you don't know Jesus, the end should terrify you. And I was thinking about how do I say this nicely, and I can't. I was thinking about a time when I was uh, on a shooting range doing a live fire exercise. We were, we were learning when I was in the Air Force. And one of the people that we were with uh, misloaded her, her rifle and shot the ground right in front of her feet. Right? And it's while all of us were like moving forward in this drill. Right? And the instructor said a whole bunch of things that I can't repeat here in church. <laughs> grabbed her rifle. And, and this is a, a middle-aged woman, you know, captain of the Air Force. She goes, go sit down. Okay? Why was he not nice to her? Because if her barrel had been a few inches further down, she'd have lost her foot. If it had been a few inches this way or that way, she might have shot one of us. Okay? It was a big deal. And so, so as we come into this last point, let me tell you, this may not sound very nice, but it is true and it is a big deal. That day that we were just singing, that glorious day when Jesus saved us is awesome and it's going to be even more awesome when he comes back if he has saved us. If he has not, we've got a big problem. Okay? If we do not know Jesus as our Lord, then when he comes back, we have no encouragement, just a warning. It's going to be the very worst day of our lives. Okay? 
And we should think about that ourselves if we're not sure that we know Jesus as Lord. We should share that with others who we care about because that's going to be their lot when Jesus comes back because he's coming back. Here's what Christ said. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. This is loving, carrying the lamb Jesus, saying... When I come back on that day, if you do not know me, you will be cut to pieces and put in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a huge implication of the fact that Jesus is coming back. But here's the great news. We should be terrified of being in the wrong place on that day, but God has done through Jesus everything that needed to be done so that we don't have to be terrified. Okay? Jesus paid the price for us in entirety so that he can tell us, hey, just put your faith in me. Love me, follow me, and I will take care of you on that day that I return. Okay? That's an amazing message. Okay? So here's where we end up. Jesus is coming back. That's guaranteed. That's the message that is all throughout Scripture. What will that day be like for you? If you know Jesus, it's going to be a surprise, and it is going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be glorious. Okay? If you don't know Jesus, it is going to be quite literally hell. Okay? It is going to be horrible. Okay? So if you're sitting there, and I ask you this question, what will that day be like for you? And you cannot say, that day is going to be awesome for me. Do you think we might want to talk? I think we might want to. Okay. What if Jesus comes back before dinner? Okay. If you're thinking about somebody you know who would answer this question and say, it's not going to be a good day for me, okay. think about how you might help them to answer this question. And if you're sitting in here and you're like, hey, this is kind of a scary message right now because I'm not sure how I'd answer that, I just tell you... During this final song, you can come talk to me. After the service, you can come talk to me. Richard, back there, raise your hand, Richard, if you would. Richard will be by the next steps table. You can talk to him. If somebody brought you today, you can talk to them. Don't let this time go by, because this is the truth that Paul is sharing with the Thessalonians. This is the truth we need to understand ourselves. Jesus is coming back. Awesome for those of us who believe. Terrible for those of us who do not. So let's get that figured out, because it's the most important thing we could ever figure out. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have assured us, you've said again and again, that Jesus will come back, that there will be a time when uh, 
all of this messed up stuff in this world gets set right. And that for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, uh, not because we are great, but because he is, uh, we will be safe and we will be loved and it will be great. Uh, God, give us hearts to understand uh, where those folks are that are in our lives that don't know Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody in this room uh, that is wondering what would happen if Jesus came back today? Uh, God, I'd ask that you would move them to answer that question, to see, uh, to investigate the truth about who Jesus is, uh, to get their eternity certain. And God, we thank you that you have called us to this most important of missions, to share this truth with people so that they might have the assurance of eternal life in the love of Christ. Amen. Will you stand and join us in singing?